Support for a quick timeout podcast is brought to you by our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. College and professional teams from around the country rely on Dr. Dish shooting machines to help improve their players' development. Whether it's in the gym or at home in your driveway, Dr. Dish will improve your basketball workouts. To find out more about how Dr. Dish can help your program, visit drdishbasketball.com. I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. You know, thinking about as the ball gets into the post, I know, you know, Virginia sometimes will come in and double. So I don't know if you guys are doing any of that. And also off, off ball screens, you know, come to mind too. I know some teams switch, some teams are like, we're fighting through at all costs. Um, so just curious, some of the things that you're doing. I know pressure defensive teams tend to be a little more aggressive with what they're doing, mm-hmm. even in the half court. So curious how, how that all lines up for you as well. So I've used this term, but even though uh, there are elements of the pack that I didn't like, what I did like was that gap defensive pressure. And so I still use the term gap if you're one pass away, you know, to traditional help if you're two or more passes away. <clears throat> but what what playing kind of that gap help defense allows you to do is anything off the ball. Most of the time we were just shooting the gap or shooting in between, um, but you're still kind of hovering around the paint. So you're almost not, you're basically just readjusting your position. You're not chasing guys around the floor, which I felt like at times that was, that could potentially happen depending on where they're sending players. So, you know, that, that is a little bit easier as far as doubling the post. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do. Um, and to be honest with you, I I will send different guys at different times. So we had the last couple of years, we had a 6'5 point guard. And um, off, offensively, point guards are not used. When the ball goes into a post, a point guard stands and watches, which is easy for you defensively because he's not going to do anything. And so we would send our point guard down to double. And so he was coming from all random areas on the floor. And then we would just split the last two in the backside. And wherever the ball went, that guy was following and the point guard would run to the open man. So, you know, that we'll do that sometimes. I would traditional uh, double with the four. Um, so send him at times depending. So, you know, that that's kind of the same traditionally as far as like practicing the the double and then the rotations, um, you know, as teams kind of move away from the traditional post player, that that changes a little bit. But we're still playing at our level. We still play three or four Division One teams every year, and they always have a post player. And so um, I've had success, even at our, you know, us being several notches below those Division One teams. I've had success going and doubling the post. Uh, we're we're playing those teams early in the season, so they really haven't worked on that yet and seen that yet. So we'll get we'll have some success with that. But I would encourage players. I know it's not new. I'm sure most of your listeners have have heard it before. But like practice or just try um, sending different guys. You'll find that some guys are great at it and some guys stink at it. But they can be taught taught it. I've seen um, usually the athletic ones do pretty well. Long arm, obviously. Um, your smarter players, if they can react quickly and get down there, but send different players. You know, obviously, if the ball comes in and our doubler is, I've actually had this. So I'll give you the example of the point guard. So 
his man is the one that fed the post. We'll just have him turn and actually just dig a little bit. And I'll have a second guy who I assign. So I'll say, if he's not able to go, then you're going to go. And that kind of keeps all the players alert on the floor because they're constantly thinking like, all right, is it my turn? Is it, is it me who's able to go? And I think that has really allowed us to play as five on the court because they're all ready to go rather than, well, that's not my assignment because I'm not that player. Um, they know that their responsibilities potentially could be there depending on where they are on the floor or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, um, and I'll just say this too. I know you're a proponent of this, but we play a ton. We play a ton three on three. We play a ton five on five. We just play a ton because of that. We, we don't want to just sit and practice one guy going and doubling the post or, you know, one guy playing half court defense. Well, you're the, you three on the team are the ones and you're going to be the ones who are always stopping the ball in transition. Like we practice everybody. The big guys like it because sometimes they're the point guard in the, in the ball screen scenarios, which is just a mess, but like they, they just do it. And so everybody gets reps of, of guarding ball screens in both positions. And, um, but when you play, you get more opportunities to be able to have those scenarios. So yeah, I, I would suggest that you kind of tinker with it, um, but but let them play and, and kind of experiment with it and find out how to, how to do it better on their own. Coach, just an, another question as we, um, we talked a little bit about the half court and then also looking at the full court. One of the things I know we had to deal with a lot in the full court was kind of communicating to fix it. Once the ball got on the in the half court, there's times when you uh, double team and you end up getting matched up with other players. And I know some coaches, they like to really keep the integrity of their matchups. And they really want to, you have this player and we're not switching anything. We'll hard hedge, we'll recover at all costs. So how do you manage that with the press where you, you, you know, I know you can fix it, so to speak, yeah. in the half court. But obviously there's times where you might have some of those other matchups. Are you okay with that? Um, and, and how much do you guys have to work on that? Yeah, I mean, there's some times where, I mean, as, as soon as it happens, <clears throat> the head coach and I talk a lot, and he's, he'll sit next to me on the bench, and, you know, I'll just say underneath my breath, like, we're screwed. Because the fact of the matter is, like, that you just know that that ball is going to find that guy that's not who you want guarding him. Um, it really magnifies itself when we're playing those D2 and D1 games. But um, the truth is, is that we played a lot this year with five guys who are very similar. And I think, too, some coaches are going to hear that and be like, well, I don't have that luxury, so that's not going to work for me. Um, I really do believe that because of the style of offense that we play, as well as the type of defense that we play, we're a lot of times playing just our best five guys or, you know, the best five out of the top eight guys. And the fact of the matter is, if you give them the opportunity to play a lot, this is another reason why I think it's important for you to play a ton, is that they're going to get experience in practice. And we switch. We'll switch one through five most of the time. Usually the last, at least third, last half of the season, we will, on defense, switch everything. So off ball, on ball, everything, we switch. And that results in some things that if you were in the stands, you'd see our center guarding a three or a two and you're like oh man that's going to be a mismatch but to be honest with you our center by the end of the year did a great job moving his feet and staying in front um, and absorbing those drives and 
but I think it was because he was put in situations every day in practice where he had to do that. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a, oh man, this is the first time this has ever happened, or this is unique once the game came because he was, he had to do that every day in practice. And so again, I just think it's another reason why you should practice playing a lot in practice is so that guys can get opportunities to, to guard positions that they wouldn't normally because I mean how many times do we do one rep everybody's guarding who they want who they're supposed to be guarding and then the rep's over and we blow the whistle and we reorganize everything and everybody goes back to guarding their same guy again I just that's just not realistic and I think in the long run that really hurts you right now huddle is offering real COVID-19 relief for entire athletic departments with the return to play program the program includes subscriptions for every program as well as a free upgrade to have Huddle Assist and Huddle Focus, the smart camera that automatically records and uploads your games, and the ability for parents and fans to watch your live streams for free, all at your current subscription price. For basketball coaches, that means you get the smart camera for your gym, which automatically records your home games, with the flexibility to record any practices or drills you want with the push of a button. You also get Huddle Assist, That means full game breakdowns, including full team and player stats in less than 24 hours, so your stats are ready when you need them. Leverage interactive reports and advanced stats like shot charts or lineup data to coach smarter. Want to see how Huddle can help you dominate this season? Visit Huddle.com. That's Huddle.com to learn more. Yeah, and the more more opportunities uh, you have to let the players go out there and be involved in those small-sided games or three versus three situations, five versus five is obviously helpful. So it looks like you have a drill here um, that you can share with us because I'm curious as you build your defensive system and you're talking about the full court and half court elements that you have to work with, is there anything that you use with your team other coaches might want to see? Yeah, this one is called attack 33. You can also do it attack 44 where you're playing four on four. And we actually will do sometimes attack 55 where we have all five guys on the floor. But these players, one and X1, will actually start on the other side of the court. And we give one almost a running start. The coach starts with the ball. We'll throw it to one on the move. That's why you see kind of one with a small advantage there. That may be a little bit too much of an advantage, but something like that where they're able to catch the ball and then to dribble. And what you're creating is just a really quick scoring opportunity. We put about 10 seconds on the floor. And so they play out of that. And it doesn't, they don't have to force something where they just dribble in and shoot or whatever. But, you know, you're working on if your team takes away the corner shooter, then you got to take the corner shooter. If, you're got, if your team provides help from this side, if this guy stunts, like you just play three on three. I think sometimes we think of three on three, like at the top, the wing and the wing, and then we play out of it. Like you can move your three on three all over the floor and create scenarios. We'll put them sometimes in like three on three ball screen situations where we have a corner ball and then a guy come up and set a screen and play three on three out of that. But this attack 33, you do the 44, you'll put another person on this side of the floor. Attack 55, we'll put the fifth guy over here. So you have one, two, three, four like your trail guy and then five underneath the basket and it's just real quick and we'll we'll say basically you know white team you got 10 opportunities to score and then after the white team goes then okay blue team you got 10 opportunities to score so it's best out of 10 Um, and the guys really like that because it's really quick they rotate to different positions on the floor 
they have to sometimes be the guy that's guarding the ball. They have to sometimes be the guy on the corner shooter, sometimes the person providing help from the backside, sometimes the person over here that uh, uh, providing additional help or help the helper. I mean, you can recreate pretty much anything. And again, it's kind of fast paced. <clears throat> you know, we'll do a lot of small segments where you're only only playing or doing a drill, a small sided game for for eight minutes or for five minutes or whatever. And so this is one that they really like. Um, there are some others that you've probably seen. <clears throat> this one that I that we'll do is we'll just do, you know, two on two where they dribble around the cone and you got a small advantage. Um, this one is looks a little bit confusing, but it basically just turns into three on three. So it's pass, pass, pass. <clears throat> on the pass, this guy starts to close out because closeouts are really important in the type of defense that we play. On the second pass, this guy starts to close out to two. And on the third pass, he'll sprint and close out to help. And then they'll play three on three. So again, you're just here, whatever skills are most important. So for us, it's you know taking away corner shooter, closeouts, contesting shots, rebounding. <clears throat> those are the types of things that we're trying to implement in those those small-sided games. And you know, there's a ton of other ones. I know you provide a ton as well, but Again, it goes back to the point of preparing them for scenarios that they'll face in games and allowing everybody to see the different scenarios and to get in as many reps as possible because, right, like you're trying to give them as many opportunities to practice as possible. And we found that basically doing this, the shorter type drills allows you to get those different reps and to practice on different spots on the floor. What I love about Attack 33 and, and really all of these um, small-sided games that you shared is there's so many benefits to them. And I know, you know, really with all SSGs and games-based, that's why coaches are doing it. But thinking about that Attack 33 and, you know, you have a transition situation, defensive player sprinting back, closeouts, rotations, so many mm -hmm. different things that are going on. And obviously the decision-making aspect on offense as well. So, there's just so many benefits, you know, to using these in practice and obviously, um, you know, for defense. And you mentioned closeout, so I have to ask you, um, and I know this is something that is different for coaches. There's fly-by closeouts and traditional closeouts and glides, glide closeouts. And there's so many different things, but what do you guys use with your team and, and why does it work for you in terms of closing out? Yeah, so I mean, we for a long time were just doing the short choppies, and the the truth is, is that <clears throat> we were giving up nine, ten, eleven, twelve threes a game, and we got sick of it. And so I got rid of the short choppies. We sprint, and it's sprint and almost kind of like a <clears throat> side type hockey stop, um, but they they don't they don't hockey stop with their middle foot in the center of a guy's body. It's closing out with leverage, and so we're sprinting and hockey stopping. <clears throat> so that our body directs them to the baseline. And that's, again, something that changed because, you know, a pack line, you're closing out and influencing them towards that elbow. So that changed this year. So you sprint out, you close out with your inside hand. So if I'm on the, the right side of the floor, I'm closing out with my left hand to push them to the baseline. If I'm on the other side of the floor, I'm sprinting out and closing out um, the the flybys I feel like as soon as you fly by even if it's a good contest <clears throat> you're now eliminating yourself from the play um, some will like that because that just sends the guy now into transition offense on the other side of the floor um, but you know for us I would rather them close out high hand I try to teach them the set be the second guy that jumps off the floor 
that's something that you have to drill. I know some people are like, that doesn't work. I'm trying to contest your face. <clears throat> so if I can jump up and contest your face, not block the shot, but contest your face, you can be the second person off the floor and contest in somebody's face. So, you know, we try to teach jump. If the guy jumps, be the second guy, but quickly jump off the floor. Um, you know, I like the hockey stop because you're just closing out, stopping, planting, and then going. And if you close out the right way, he's only got one place to go, and it's to the baseline. So you know where he's going. And then that ties into what we started with, right? I'm going to beat him to that spot on the short corner so I don't get blown by. You know, that's, again, just one of those things that as I'm thinking through it, I want everything to be connected. I want everything to set up the next thing. And, you know, so teaching it that way where I'm closing out with my inside hand, pushing them towards the baseline. Sure. If they start to drive, that's fine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give them a wide open pass to the lane, but my player's mentality is I contested the shot. They didn't shoot. What's next. My next thing is I go and I beat them to the spot on the baseline so that I can cut them off on the baseline. Um, so again, that's just another example of everything being connected so that they just naturally play without having to think through things. I really like the uh, the hockey style closeout, to be honest. I've, I was kind of traditional choppy steps, high hands, and um, I, I like what you guys are doing because there's that opportunity to close out and recover. As you mentioned, the flybys, you're almost creating an advantage to the opponent, um, but I, I'm sure that works for the teams that use it. I think, you know, the people that drill it and their players know it, you could probably argue for all three of them, but I really like what you guys are doing. Um, and, I, and, I, and I remember you talking about this. It might have been one of the chats, or you might have posted it, but I do remember you talking about those closeouts previously. So we've, we've covered a lot in terms of, uh, you know, defending pick and roll and off-ball screens, half-court, full-court, you know, as coaches are kind of building their system and even closeouts there. Is there anything else that you, you're doing or keying in on as – you're kind of building your full court and your half court defensive systems that we might not have talked about yet? Yeah, I think the last thing is just the ball pressure and how important that is in the full court and in the half court. Um, you know, even in the full court, there are times where I think at the beginning you think I have to be so good at keeping the ball in front of me and the ball can never, I can't get beat, I can't get beat, I can't get beat. And when your guy gets beat, like you're angry. We actually practice getting beat. But again, it's one of those things, if you get beat, then you naturally rotate to the next guy up. Um, and you'll actually sometimes get deflections and steals as that guy thinks, oh, well, that guy's open. And he goes to pass it. And the guy who was guarding him that you just beat gets the tip or gets the deflection. So we'll actually practice from the backside, you know, getting beat and then recovering to the next guy up. Um, the next person in line would then take that guy. Um, you know, this is hard to coaches probably if they're listening still are going to be thinking like, man, I, I don't know exactly what he's talking about. Our head coach did a one of those virtual clinics with uh, with this and he has it, it's all on coach tube and I would encourage them to to get that. Um, and then if they listen to this, they'll kind of see how the two of them kind of mesh together. But even in the half court, uh, we talked we started with talking about going down the roof making sure that you're on the ball close enough that you're <clears throat> influencing to where you want him to go, but not so close. You know, we talk about giving them kind of like that little cushion so that you're not so close that you get blown by or that you foul. That was something that we had to really focus on the last half of the season this last year. Um, so yeah, the ball pressure is extremely important <clears throat> because as coaches, we know that's important for 
feeding the post. That's important for contesting shots. Um, you know, the the on the ball pressure. It really starts with with your offense's effectiveness starts with what happens on the ball. And so, I think really we'll spend time at the beginning of the year. Everybody does the zigzag drill, right? I would encourage you to start with the zigzag drill, and then once you get to half court, in, implement that roof drill and keeping them to that side of the floor, <clears throat> and and helping your players see how the two of them tie together. I think too many times we as coaches understand how the four components of basketball tie together in our system, but our players don't. And so they don't quite understand how the transition defense goes together with the defense. And sometimes we do a poor job of, of our drills, right? That's why we love those small-sided games, <clears throat> because if you do them right, you can tie different components of the game together, like you already said. But if I'm old school and I'm practicing ball screens, and then I go on and practice rebounding, and then I go on and practice contesting shots. And your players never see the, the connection between those things. And I think that you end up with a less than effective or not as strong defense as you could have if your players really did understand how everything fit together. Just uh, one, one last question on ball pressure. Um, I know you talked a little bit about this, but always curious because I, I get different. It's different for everybody, obviously, one of those things. But is there any um, – you know, specific expectations for players. I've heard some some coaches and arms went away. Some coaches, there's a kind of cushion zone, that imaginary zone they want their players to be in. So um, for you guys to obviously effectively put pressure on the ball, are there any uh, expectations that you have or is it different from player to player? Um, how, does that, how does that work for you? I think as coaches, we would love everybody to be the same, right? Like you, you should be able to be a lockdown ball defender. But the reality is, is that my senior is, is better at it than my junior. My junior is better at it than my, than my sophomore. And I think it really gives us as coaches an opportunity <clears throat> for them to help learn how to be self-aware. Like, bro, you can't guard that guy. You need to come off of him, right? And, and just being honest, but also allowing them to have success. If I want to be so stubborn that I say to you, you know, John, you need to go guard the ball and your guy is just torching you over and over and over. Like that's going to defeat you. But if I say to you, like, you know, just take a couple steps off of him, but keep him in front of you and you have some success. I know that John is a freshman. You're not going to be very good. But by the time you get to be a senior, you're going to be smart about angles. And you're going to learn to get better at it. And so, you know, as a coach, I'm, I'm expect, there is a certain level that I want all of them. Like they have to be able to stay in front of the ball but I would rather them use their brains to be able to stay in front of the ball rather than just expecting them to all be athletic enough or fast enough to stay in front. Because again, if I'm allowing, if I'm saying we're going to switch one through five, then there's going to be times where there's going to be somebody who's guarding somebody that they have no shot. If I'm going to say to them, everybody across the board is arm's length away. And if you're not, you're not playing like that's just stupid. And so, and it's not realistic. And so, you know, again, if I'm going to say we're all going to switch, you're expected to guard everybody, then then what I teach, my expectation <clears throat> needs to match that. And I think, again, sometimes as coaches, we have this like we're going to do it this way and this way and this way and this way. And if you can't, then you're not going to play. And we don't have the success that we could because we're too stubborn to change the way that we did it because we have this high in the sky lofty expectation <clears throat> that really isn't it, it really isn't realistic 
No, it's a great point. I, you know, with, with our defense, um, had a, a player who was great at anticipating, getting steals off the ball. They were, they were probably the slowest player I had on the floor, but they were really good in that role and they anticipated really well. On the ball, they had to be yeah. back off their person. And obviously we tried to not put them in positions in the press where they were going to be up defending, but there was times where it happened and we had to be okay with that. And I think yep. that's a really great point because every player is different, but what they didn't give us in ball pressure away from the ball uh, they, they were just great. They were getting their hands and a lot of deflections and, and passes and things like that. So that's a really, really great point. Um, as, as we transition here to the end, um, just thinking about coaches who are watching this, um, is there any advice that, you know, you would give to them as they start to build their system and they're really thinking about, hey, I'd, I'd like to have a full court element and I'd like to also have that half court aspect and be good at both. Uh, what advice would you give to coaches as they start to think about that? Yeah, I mean, the first thing would just simply be <laughs> be willing to continue to learn and continue to change because the game does change. And so what things are, again, it's a question that we had to really focus on. What matters to winning? <clears throat> what things are going to allow us to have a position or be in a position to win? And I think there are some constants. We've talked about some of those constants. <clears throat> but, like, find out what that is to whatever your defensive system you want to play and then drill those things over and over and over. Understand that you're not going to be great at everything, but the things that could potentially get you a win or slow down the other team or, you know, give you a chance against the best team in your league, those are the things that you should be practicing on a regular basis. And so, you know, I would say be great at certain things, focus on those things, but drill those things every day in practice and drill them through those small sided games like we worked on. Because again, what you emphasize is what your players think is going to be most important. And you better, what they think is most important better be the things that actually give you a shot at winning games. Great advice, coach. And so many uh, great points in this. You took us through really everything you guys do defensively. You gave us a piece of, of your whole system. So I feel like maybe some coaches out there uh, might have some follow-up questions. And I know you're very active on uh, social media. If coaches want to reach out to you, you want to just share your uh, Twitter handle? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just, just look at at Tony W. Miller. Um, you know, there's a ton of stuff there. <clears throat> I do some stuff for Fast Model and for Dr. Dish. If you see that name pop across, that's me. Just feel free to shoot me a DM. My direct messages are open and I'm more than happy to help out any way that I can. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And I hope, uh, you know, I know coaches are really going to enjoy this and I hope they also uh, check out your quick timeout podcast and your coffee with the coaches. I know that I follow along. I learn a lot from you as a coach. Appreciate all that you have to share. Uh, so thank you again for joining us. Absolutely. Appreciate all that you do as well, coach. Thank you. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.